Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's adventure takes us to the city by the bay. We're going to check in with Allie Dickin, who just completed her sixth season with the San Francisco 49ers and serves as their director of brand and influencer marketing. That's a first. I don't think we've had anybody with that title on. Also does some great stuff to support, you know, big events at uh, Levi Stadium and uh, the Niners business ventures. So welcome to the podcast, Allie. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's start with it, right? Because I don't think we've had anybody with this title in all the episodes we've done. What is a director of brand and influencer marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. So in my role as director of brand and influencer marketing, we'll start with brand first. So I oversee everything 49ers brand. So usage of our marks, development of our marketing campaigns, how we bring that to life across digital social content, uh, signage around the building, giveaways. And then I also deal with international marketing. So we have rights in both Mexico and the UK that we acquired last year. And then influencer marketing. So in 2019, built our first influencer marketing program. And with that, it's really strategizing, developing relationships with influencers and bringing them in as a extension of amplifying our brand and helping us to tell the 49ers brand story. That's a lot. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, do you sleep? send somebody yeah. to check in on you? Well, yeah. It's a wellness check. <laughs> yeah. And then I also work on the Levi Stadium event side. So all of our concerts that come in, I'm also the marketing point for that as well. And then it's not just me. I work with a great team and that allows us to do everything that we do. Right. So, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of stuff for sure. <laughs> Yeah, you get your hands in a lot of different pots, and uh, there's so many of it uh, things that are that are kind of unique to your role, but that we've all kind of dealt with just just a little bit here and there. So let's talk about that influencer piece first of all, because I know that's something that hits this industry, uh, the live events industry, pretty much everywhere, right? Where you're working on a show, and whether it's the artist management or promoter, somebody says, "Hey, you got any good local influencers?" and then you know, you're kind of looking back through those old emails where you've maybe got a good relationship or you don't. And mm -hmm. there's so many people who it just feels like they're looking for free tickets or they you work with somebody and they post bad content. So talk to us. It sounds like you've maybe figured out some some magic formula there. Tell us uh, how you make this successful. Yeah. So when it comes to influencer, it's really just first and foremost on the 49er side, we start with who is authentically a fan of our team and our brand because there are a lot of influencers out there right people come to me and they'll suggest somebody that they see on tiktok but they're not they've never talked about us they're not from the bay area they don't have any kind of connection to our team and so i look at that as a one and done right you invite somebody out who isn't actually a fan they get free tickets they get an experience but what does that do for you beyond beyond that and so really that's that's how i start the thought process around influencer is identifying people that are either from the Bay Area or 
are authentically a 49ers fan and bringing them in and developing a relationship with them. And then from there, it's really trial and error, right? Inviting people out. A big focus is just on building relationships with people, getting them in and at a game and giving them that experience, bringing them down on the field, hosting them, talking to them finding out how they became a fan and what their story is. And then from there, it's just the more that you host people, you see who are the people that really are excited about doing things with your brand and want to be a part of what you're doing and who are just the casual ones that they might want to come to one game a year. But beyond that, they don't really have, you know, a bigger interest in in doing stuff with you. So that's really the approach that we take with, with influencer. I love that. It sounds like, probably especially for a brand and a team as well known as the 49ers that's maybe a lot of contacts to juggle do you organize them and have almost like that list like you said okay here's our you know bigger pool okay here's the ones we've narrowed down and then here's the ones that we know are like really diehards and here's you know almost like tiered that way if you need to expand it to a bigger audience you have that and then if you want like the diehards that have the big audience you have that too like how do, how do you keep track of them all Yeah, for sure. So we have a master tracker that has everybody logged in it. And so that is something that we started right when uh, the program was built in 2019. So as we built that, it was tracking people by vertical, their reach, any special notes about them, had they posted about us before. And then we log everything in there from their size for apparel, address, all of that information so that we just have a master list that we continue to build off of. That's awesome no small task to keep track of. So, you know, how do you make sure that then the content that they are posting is then not only reflecting good on you, but then also, you know, they're they're saying the right things, right? What's important messaging that you want an influencer to get out? Do you kind of negotiate that in advance? So for us bringing people out, we don't give too many guidelines of what they post. It's really telling them to document their game day experience, use our hashtag, hashtag FTTB, which stands for our campaign, Faithful to the Bay, and then tagging 49ers and tagging Levi's. So tagging Levi's is because Levi's is actually part of our influencer program. They had an interest in influencer early on. And so they're they're the presenting partner of what we call Verified Faithful, which is our influencer program. So those are really the guidelines that we give them coming out. And then a big thing for us is I think a lot of the times with influencer and think about influencers that do brand deals, they post a lot of stuff where you can tell that the brand wrote it, right? Or that they were given, you know, the brand had final say on it and it sounds very robotic and it doesn't sound authentic. And so the thing for us was right off the bat, we want this to feel organic, that someone is just naturally sharing their experience. We're not telling them a specific number of times to post. And with that, we've just seen that we get more organic content and that feels really unique to the influencer and like it's their personality versus us influencing that tell me about that verified faithful what is that so verified faithful when we started our influencer program verified faithful is the name that we gave to our influencer program and we started a series with levi's a content series called verified faithful And they were episodes highlighting celebrities and influencers of the 49ers. So we did episodes with country singers, WWE superstars, actors, other musicians, and highlighted their fandom. So talking about how they became a fan of the 49ers, what the Bay Area means to them. So everyone that we did an episode on had a connection to the Bay. They either grew up in the Bay or had Bay Area roots. 
And it just was a piece that allowed them to tell their story of being faithful. And then the name was really just inspired by verified faithful kind of two meanings, right? They're authentically a fan, but then also they're notable people in the industry who are fans of ours. I'm sure that whole vetting and sort of narrowing process helps a lot too when it comes to figuring out who you know is going to post good content. And, you know, I'm sure you're looking at a lot of people and then you're inviting them out. And then as you develop those relationships, you can kind of trust that they're going to post authentic and natural content through their their feeds, but that it's also, you know, something that, you know, is going to represent the brand well. And it's not something you really have to worry about because you already have that relationship. Exactly. Yeah, that's spot on. So that's just one piece of the puzzle. You talked a lot about the brand, right? So when you're looking at merchandising and stuff, are you in the are you in the trenches like somebody wants to have a you know a, a mouse pad or a, or you know apparel? Is is this part of your everyday uh, life as well? Yeah. So I work with both Fanatics, who does all of our retail initiatives. And then I work also with our business strategy and analytics team who works on retail as well. And so I work with them on collections that come into the team store. So reviewing product, providing input that influences what they buy and bring in. And what's really been cool is we've been able to work closely together on developing new collections, incorporating our campaign, Faithful to the Bay. And so being able to be a part of that and have more influence on, on what is getting brought into our team store and available for fans. When you think about retail or when you think about a brand, right? Retail is such a crucial part of it because people want to buy gear. They want to wear it to show their support and love for the team. So to me, it's really important that we have a strategy for retail that's inclusive. Thinking of, you know, one thing that was important to me is making sure that we had more apparel for women. And so lately we've done some specific collections that are focused on bringing in cooler gear for women. And so being able to be a part of that has been really important from the brand perspective. Yeah, we actually uh, been doing that a lot at Ohio State where we've seen that that women's sports apparel has really been a, a big thing. And one of the things that I've noticed is, is kind of 90s style. Is coming back, right? So a lot of the '90s stuff—it was '80s throwback for a while, and now the big, big trend seems to be, you know, '90s throwback year. Totally, yeah. And for us, we so we actually wear part of our uniform collection. So that's something I work on too. I work with our football uh, side of the business and the NFL on everything on field. So I work on when we release a new uniform or when we make adjustments to a uniform. That's part of my role as well. And so we actually, in our uniform closet, we wear throwback uniforms uh, multiple times a year. And so that's another cool thing that we get to do with retail is with the throwback uniforms and those games, doing more gear that's throwback inspired and thinking through how we market that as well. I'm curious about the international thing that you mentioned where you said you all are involved in uh, Mexico and the UK, right? What does that look like and how is that kind of expansion happening? Like what, what's the involvement and what are you all hoping, you know, comes and develops from that? Totally. Yeah. So the NFL opened it up for all clubs to bid on international marketing rights to variety of different markets. And we chose the UK, a lot of that being uh, we have a minority, we're a minority investors in Leeds United, the premier league club out there. And so that was a lot of the reason that we decided to get into the UK market. 
And then Mexico, we are one of the top teams out there in, in terms of fandom. And so we knew that we already had a, you know, pre-existing audience out there. And so for us, that was just a no-brainer to get into Mexico. And then we also had our game there this year. So, I mean, going out there, we activated with, you know, fan events all, all week leading into the game. And at the game, it was just overwhelmingly 49ers fans. I mean, it was technically a Cardinals home game, but there was a lot of booing <laughs> for the Cardinals. And there was a lot of 49ers, a lot of 49ers fans out there. So Mexico was definitely a no-brainer for us. UK, like I said, the Leeds United connection. And the thing with UK is that it's a little bit more difficult out there because you don't have as many pre-existing fans over there. Sure. American football, a lot of people don't really understand American football. And so it's more of the education and figuring out how can we make a dent out there, educating people on American football. And also, I mean, really from scratch, telling them about the history of the 49ers, our, us being a legacy brand, what we're up to right now and what our team and organization stands for. So on the UK side, it's a lot more grassroots. And out there during this last season, we did a watch party out there uh, during the regular season. And then during for the NFC championship, we had a watch party at Leeds United. So really it's, you know, inviting people with on the ground events to come out, experience the 49ers brand. And then beyond that, thinking through for both markets, our digital social strategy of how do we adjust our marketing message in both markets? You know, Mexico, yeah. you have the challenge of, uh, you know, the language difference. And UK, you have the challenge of cultural differences. How, you know, our campaign is faithful to the Bay. What does the Bay mean in the UK? How do we educate people on that? So, right. yeah, both. it's been a very interesting uh, experience and it's been very rewarding and a cool thing to work on. I never thought that I'd be working, you know, on two international markets. So that's been really fun and just a big learning experience. Ali, you know, you've touched on it a few times here, but the word faithful seems to be such a, an important word in so much of the messaging that you do, you know, going back to, you know, 2017, when you kind of got things rolling with the, the faithful then, faithful now, and then and then kind of transitioning in 2020 to the, the faithful to the bay. So talk to me about why that word faithful is so important. Yeah, so the word faithful, it's just something for a long time that are kind of is two parts, right? So faithful in that fans are faithful to our team. They're committed to our team, following our team, supporting our team, being faithful, whether we win or lose that mindset. But then it's also what the fan base has called themselves. So they've referred to themselves as the faithful. They're following us. They, you know, are out at games, whether we win or lose. When I first started with the team in end of 2016, it was not a good season. And that's really what inspired faithful then faithful now, right? Was reminding people that you're faithful in the losses, you're faithful in the wins, not a right. fair weather fan, right? Sticking with the team yeah. and being committed to the team. And so, and then faithful, it evolved into faithful to the Bay and more of the, you know, the Bay representing our community, our organization, our team. So that's really the thought process on the word faithful and, and what it means and stands for. It's going to be really interesting to work for, this brand that has all this rich history too you know that's a fortunate thing in that some some teams most teams have kind of iconic players but i mean the 49ers like you know i, I remember being a kid and 
I wouldn't even have called myself a 49ers fan at the time. I really wasn't like a fan of any football team, but I, for some reason, like kind of idolized Joe Montana and Steve Young. And like, it's like everyone knew who they were. They permeated all culture. And, you know, me and my friends would be like sketching them in notepads and, you know, second or third grade or something, you know, it's like, but that's like what it was like at that time. So, I mean, it's got to be really awesome to have these just amazing, iconic players and moments and, this thought of that when people think of your brand, you know, you you have this passionate history that really, you know, is behind you whenever you're approaching it and trying to, you know, push that into these, you know, new markets. It's it's got to be a, a great position to be in. Not that it doesn't require work. I'm sure it requires a lot of work, but but it's yeah. it's a it's a it it's a cool brand to be a part of, really. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think the thing that I mean, now we're at a point right where our marketing is really centered around how do we build that next generation of faithful? Cause you have the older generation, right. That knows the history of the 49ers and remembers our Super Bowl wins. And that's when they, for so many of them, even talking to fans, you know, the common thread is talking to fans here, talking to fans in the UK, fans in Mexico. So many of them became fans around those Super Bowl wins and, yeah. you know, seeing the catch with Dwight Clark and, you know, talking about Young, Rice, Montana, all of them, but this new generation of fans, they don't really have that, you know, understanding of what, what yeah. those rates were like and what those moments were like. And so for us now, it's how do we position the brand moving forward to hit that younger audience? And that's where, you know, influencer plays such a big role and hitting that younger audience and bringing them into our brand and, and wanting to be a fan. Allie, you know, we, we touched on, you know, Levi Stadium, right? Uh, how, how old is the stadium now? So next or this coming season will be our 10th season in the building. It opened in 2014. It's crazy because I remember when it opened, everybody was so excited about all the, the new innovations and, and you know, and you guys were right on the cutting edge, right? So talk to us about, for somebody who maybe isn't as aware of Levi Stadium, what's your place in the market right now and, and how's the building doing and, and kind of... What does somebody uh, get when they come to Levi Stadium? Yeah, so our building still, I still think, especially going like traveling to away games and going to other venues, I still think our building, even though we're coming up on, you know, 10 years, right? I still think that our building is very forward in terms of technology. So our team at the stadium has done a really good job of continuing to keep us you know, I mean, we, we are in Silicon Valley, so we have to be yeah. continuing to, uh, you know, keep us up to date with the latest technology and prioritizing Wi-Fi experience and just virtual experiences at the stadium, um, our sound, video equipment, TV equipment. I mean, everything, it's really keeping us cutting edge. And so I don't think that there's signs of wear and tear on the building. I think the building is still, you know, holding up really well. And and we've really prioritized as an organization, you know, keeping it in a good place. What's it like promoting um, some of these tours coming through? Like we've talked to some previous guests and it, you know, it seemed like maybe five or six years ago, you might get one or two stadium tours, you know, maybe three. Whereas now it seems like more and more artists are choosing that option or they're doing these package deals where, you know, someone who could never headline a stadium, but you put two or three arena headliners together and you do a little mini festival, you know, is, uh, I'm sure that's been exciting, uh, but it's, you know, what's it like kind of working on that side of it as well? 
Yeah, it's it's cool on that side because I mean, Paul, you you know this for sure, but my background before I came to the 49ers, I was with the Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Mercury, and then I also in my role did all the arena concerts and events. And so I was used to everything at the arena scale, right? And so coming here, you're spot on in that not everyone is at the level to do a stadium tour, right? But it has, I mean, this coming year in particular, or this year going into next year, we have a lot of things coming through. And it definitely only used to be like a couple concerts and then soccer events a year. So I think for me, it's really cool to just see it at that larger scale, these productions that come in and are able to play a stadium. It's a different type of experience. And then you know, for many of the ones that we get, they don't struggle as much with ticket sales because they're at a level where they can play a stadium tour and have that certainty sure. that they're going to sell you well know, enough, what, right? What marketing tactics did you use <laughs> to sell helpful. Taylor Swift tickets? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Taylor Just Swift. That put was it on the schedule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> put it on the ad mat and done. Yeah. You do have Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, you know, all coming uh, uh, this year. And uh, uh, are you, you, you tired of your phone ringing people asking you for comps? <laughs> I'm just used to it for everything, right? Like I'm used to it on the 49er side, on the concert side, always. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be shocked if I wasn't getting, you know, the random person that I went to high school with DMing me and asking me for yeah. tickets out of nowhere. That's <laughs> that's the thing everyone mentioned, right? During the pandemic, people were like, I miss all the comp requests. And like it's like what I wouldn't kill to have someone ask me for a ticket right now. <laughs> you mentioned high school, right? So so Ellie, you're in high school and you, you know, you're heading for your your college at you know at Portland State University. Did you think at that time that this is what you'd be doing? Were you always a big sports fan or music fan or or how did how did you uh, kind of see your life going? when you were, were high school alley? Yeah, the the wild, it's actually a wild story. So I lived in Arizona when I was younger until I was nine, then moved to Oregon. And when I was little, I grew up just from, I mean, from when I started walking a Phoenix Suns fan. And so I, when I was in high school, I actually told people, when people would ask me, oh, what do you want to do? Also, just think about like, back then, this was a while ago, but working in sports really wasn't a career path people really talked about at all. Like there weren't really sports programs or anything like that. And so people would ask me and I would say, I'm going to work for the Phoenix Suns. Like I'm going to do marketing for the Phoenix Suns. And people are just like, okay. like (laughs) That's very specific. (laughs) You sure you don't want to be an astronaut or something? Like no, marketing for Phoenix Suns. (laughs) Totally. Like everyone else was saying, you know, they wanted to be a teacher or, you know, nurse or, these career paths you were used to hearing. And I said that I wanted to work for the Phoenix Suns. And then for me, it was just, that was always the path. Didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily know it was going to end up with the Phoenix Suns, right? As my first career start off out of college, but I knew that I wanted to be in sports and entertainment. And for me, there was no plan B. I didn't want to think about a backup plan because I just wanted to stay committed to doing what I wanted to be doing. And end up in a place and in a role that I was passionate about. So how'd you make it happen? uh, So I got into, so during college, I reached out to the then Rose Garden Arena, now Moda Center. And I expressed my desire to get in with them, like wanted to get an internship with them. So I had written into them and, you know, shared my passion and, you know, wanting to get an internship. And then 
I ended up getting an internship with AEG at the Rose Quarter. And the Rose Quarter is where both Moda Center and the Memorial Coliseum are. And so I got in with that internship with AEG and I worked on the concert and event side as a marketing intern there. And then I also did some stuff on the Blazers side as well. And that was the internship that I did in college. And then really that is what solidified it for me, right? Just being able to get the experience working in the office, but then also working these events and games. And I just knew, you know, that that was it for me and that that's what I wanted to continue doing. And so from there, you know, after, uh, as I, you know, ended my internship there, I also started working for intercom radio and different radio stations in Portland. That for me was another way to get exposure on the entertainment side, right? And continue to to build up that experience. And I, at the same time, I was working as a Starbucks barista. So I was working, (laughs) uh, I was working full-time through college. And then also- That's a valuable experience. Yeah, I tell people, you learn a lot, especially in a position like as a barista at Starbucks, just dealing with personalities, right? And for me, I- really encourage people to work while they're going to school and get that experience because I think it's a different type of experience than what you get in the classroom that's really valuable but yeah so uh I was you know working full-time doing my internship then starting at the radio station and then from there I you know was just actively applying for positions and the crazy thing is I had gone to Phoenix I had gone to a Suns game and then you know, while I was at the game, my I was with my mom and she said to somebody that worked for the Suns in the elevator and like to this day, I don't remember who it was, but said to them, like, my daughter's going to work here one day. And they're just like, oh, nice. You know, like, yeah, thanks, mom. <laughs> um, and then seriously, like the next week I got back from that trip the, that next week and a position opened up for a marketing assistant position with the Phoenix Suns. And I applied, did only Skype interviews, and then they offered me the job. Back, back before we all knew how to do those, by the way. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. when, yeah, Skype was a very new concept. And so I did the Skype interviews. They never flew me out or anything. They offered me the job and said, you have to be, or you have the job, but you have to be here in two days. So <laughs> that's really, <laughs> that's really my story of kind of, you know, my wow. journey, my journey through school and then how I landed that first career job at the, at the Suns. But really like going back to the internship experience, that experience is what set me apart for that position with the Suns. I was the only person who applied who had any arena team experience. So that's why I always tell people it's so valuable to get that internship experience to instantly set you apart for the role that you want to get into amen let's talk phoenix suns who are your favorite players i want to go down this rabbit hole with you like what's (laughs) what's your favorite team are we talking uh you know steve nash era are we like what's 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 the phoenix sun are you still a big fan i'm sure you are and as of recording this trade news which this will date the episode But freaking KD's heading there. Oh my God. So uh, yeah, this is a bit of a sidebar, but uh, yeah. What, what's your, who's your favorite Suns player? I have to know. So, I mean, really Amari Stoudemire, Steve Nash, Grant Hill. The coolest part of when I started at the Suns was that it was Steve Nash's last season. So oh, that really, yeah. that really dates me, but um, it was Steve Nash's He's last iconic. year. And 
for me, I look back and I'm like, man, like how cool that my, especially growing up a Suns fan, my first career job was getting to work for the team that I grew up loving and getting to be there for all of Steve's last games in purple and orange. So for me, I'd probably say Steve is probably my number one, but Amari Grant Hill. And then of course, uh, Devin Booker is the only one on the team right now that was there <laughs> when I left. The team has really changed. Uh, I love Booker. I'm glad he's finally getting some respect on his name. And Kentucky um, boy, let's go. Yes. Yeah, I know you're <laughs> a fan. Uh, so yeah, those are probably my top players. And then, yeah, I'm really excited about getting KD and it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Can't wait to watch it. So in your, in your, you know, four years with the, with this, well, it was five years really with the, with the Suns, you know, you went from marketing assistant to marketing coordinator to marketing manager, you kept moving up. How were you successful in kind of advancing your career while staying at the same place? Cause I think that's something a lot of us struggle with. Yeah, for sure. I do think it's very rare in the sports industry in that first position to stay as long as I did with the Suns. I think for me, what I did is I always, like when I first started with the Suns, I would constantly ask, what else can I do to help? And I would speak up, I would share ideas, I would, you know, ask for a seat at the table to be involved and, and I just continue to take on more responsibility. And so I think, you know, that's something that I always tell people, if you want a seat at the table, you have to pull up a chair. You can't expect that other people are just going to know what you're working on. You need to advocate for yourself and know your worth. And I think for me, I just, I, I just kept communicating that I wanted to be there. I kept bringing ideas to the table. And I think just my work ethic is what, you know, allowed me to stay there and continue to move up. And then with that, I mean, I started there and I was just doing Suns. And after a couple years, that's when they gave me the Mercury as well. And then they also at that time, our uh, arena marketing manager had left. So they also gave me all arena at that time. So when I left, I was oh, doing wow. basically three positions. So <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, it's someone thinks you're good at something they give you, they put a lot on your plate, right? Um, yeah. so there was definitely a lot. Don't look too good. Then you get, <laughs> then you get voluntold to do a lot. Yeah. More. So it is, you know, you do have to be careful about that. Like, you know, I now looking back work life balance is so important. Right. And I mean, I was at the arena, like all hours of the day, working games, working arena events. And I mean, I learned so much working across those properties. Um, and it was unique. I was the only one in the marketing department who was across all three. So it allowed me to just have a different perspective on things and to just very quickly gain all this experience. But yeah, I mean, looking back at, you know, I think advocating for yourself is really important. Uh, having that work ethic and not thinking something is beneath you. That's another thing that I talk to people about is, you know, when you start, you can't expect that you're going to be, you're, you're going to walk in somewhere and just be at the level that you want to be. Like when I first started at the Suns, I remember they gave me a giant box that had like 10,000 enter to win forms. So I like moved on a two day notice. I get there to like 10,000 enter there. to win yeah. forms. <laughs> and they said, Hey, we're so behind. It was an NBA lockout year. They said, we're so behind. We haven't had time to do any of these. And so I just crushed, absolutely crushed those enter to win forms for a wow. while. 
and knocked all that out. And I was, then it was like, oh, we need you to clean our storage. And I go into this, um, you know, cobweb closet that has, is just, I mean, drawers just overflowing with jerseys that needed to be organized, right? A storage area upstairs in the stadium where I was cleaning it out during the summer, like, like the picture Marie summer Kondo in Arizona. For the, yeah. uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Does yeah, this bring you but, joy? <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I did those things and I did those things with a smile. And I think going back to the question of how are you able to move up? I think it's that I didn't act like things were beneath me. I was willing to, I looked at things as, yeah, I looked at things as these things like cleaning out a storage closet or doing enter to win forms are so important in the scheme of things of, and are so helpful to these people that haven't had time to get to these things. Right. And so if you look at things that way versus looking at something as like, this isn't glamorous. It's all about just being a team player. And, and that is what I think makes you successful. So talk to us then about, cause you know, you're, you're working for the Phoenix suns, you're moving up and then you make a change, no small change too. You head out to San Francisco. So talk to us about making that move from the working with the suns to working with the 49ers. Yeah. So moving to the Bay area for me was huge. I had spent one day there. Actually, I think it was for, I had gone to a Polestar uh, conference. And so I had spent like one or two days in San Francisco. Beyond that, I had never been to the Bay area or spent time in the Bay area. Just a little interesting since I grew up pretty close to it. But so for me, it was moving to another city again, where I didn't know anybody, uh, didn't have any friends or family. And so you know, that was definitely a big adjustment. But in terms of actually the role, it was very different in terms of the uh, what I was used to on the NBA and arena side, obviously, the first thing being just number of events, right? On the NBA side, you're working, you know, a crazy amount of games between NBA, WNBA, and all the arena concerts and events. And so at the NFL, you have less games, but they're weighed, they're weighted differently. So, so much goes into one game, on the NFL side. And so it's really just how you approach a season is very different on the NBA side uh, and WNBA side. So much is put on single game sales where on the NFL side, it's a lot more, you know, focused on season tickets, season ticket experience, and you don't have as many games to sell single game tickets to. So you're not having to do like what you do on the arena NBA, WNBA side of coming up with these, ticket packs and Valentine's oh, Day nice. offer and yeah. yeah and all you can eat seats and um yeah. even just being in charge of you know game day giveaways and that experience at the 49ers game day giveaways on the NFL side it's not really a ticket driver it's more of a something that adds to the experience for people um whereas on like you said with bobbleheads on the NBA side that is really something like people look at the the schedule and they pick a game because they know that they're going to get a Devin Booker bobblehead or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's very different just in terms of, of how you approach the season and how you approach marketing the games. That makes sense. So, uh, you know, obviously we've heard lots about Allie Dickin and, you know, her current role, you know, with as director of brand influencer marketing and all this fun stuff, but but who who are you outside of work? What's life like for you outside of everything you're doing to you know keep yourself busy at work? Yeah, totally. So I outside of work, I'm super close to my family. So 
my family is all, well, majority of them are in Oregon. And so I try to get up there as much as I can. And that's really important to me is prioritizing that. And then I love to travel. I love to go to concerts. I love to go to other sporting events. So even being someone who works in sports and music, right? Um, that's a big thing for me is, and here I'm lucky because we have so many teams here. So, you know, it's, yeah. choose your own adventure of going to you know the sharks or the a's or the giants and or the quakes so there's so many different or warriors or kings like there's so many options in this area <laughs> um i just realized as i was going like oh there's another team there's another team um so yeah for me getting to you know experience other entertainment events travel be with my family those are the things that i really enjoy most outside of work i'm sure it's interesting too because I think you traveled some with the team, right? Like in the playoffs or do you, I don't know how many road games you might go to, but to see those other stadiums and kind of take it in from a different perspective and see sort of how they're doing things and what, you know, what that atmosphere is like. I'm sure it's like any arena person going to another arena, you know, a stadium person going to another stadium, you're just constantly going to be looking for all the little fine details on how they're running. I like uh, this. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm that is definitely me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there other people that have a similar title to you at other um, NFL teams, or has it been kind of a unique carve out for you with like the influencer side? Like, are you seeing more teams uh, prioritize that? Yeah. So, so for my role in particular, influencer was only added to it last year. I mean, I was doing influencer since we built the program end of 2019, but it, influencer was only added to my job last year. And so the, I'd say, well, first of all, like in terms of NFL teams, there aren't that many NFL teams that are super active in the influencer space. A lot of them um, are still trying to figure out, you know, especially markets that don't, there's certain markets where it's a lot been a lot more challenging for them to find people who are fans of the team. And um, so they're sure. trying to figure out their approach. So I'd say most teams don't have a, don't really have, there might be only a few that have someone that has influencer and the title. I know, you know, it's also different where influencer falls at different teams. So you have, you know, the Titans, for instance, have digital social. Um, their person who does digital social also does influencer. For me, I'm on the brand marketing side and do and oversee our influencer program. So it really just varies depending on on the team and but yeah my position up until influencer was added was just was director of brand marketing which a lot of teams have some form of that right it's either director sure. of marketing yeah. director of brand marketing uh so it's really just the verbiage that's used <laughs> but i'd say most people have a head of marketing or director of marketing marketing manager in their structure but influencer isn't as common are you going to take over for the whole nfl right i feel like you could run the influencer program for for the NFL, yeah, I mean, I actually the inf or the NFL actually has a department that's all influencer marketing focused, which I think is wow. an interesting thing to point out. So when the when influencer became something that the league was pushing for end of 2019, they actually built an influencer specific department. So that's something that I think is really unique. I don't know how many other leagues have that. But I work with them a lot. They and because we're one of the teams that's most active in the influencer space, they often have me talk to other teams or talk at league meetings on influencer. 
So that's been cool to just be able to be a part of spearheading something that then you're able to guide people on. Um, an influencer for a lot of people is just something that is really, you know, is a struggle for people to figure out how to navigate. So it's been cool to be a part of building something up from scratch and then being able to to help other people with their thought process on it. It's so cool to hear, you know, uh, kind of a different take on things as, you know, we're so used to our kind of focused arena world, but hearing uh, some of the resources available to you, that's got to be pretty exciting to have, have that uh, as an option. Yeah, definitely. Allie, before we wrap things up here today, uh, I want to hit you with our fast five. Just uh, five quick questions. Just looking for your short, instant response. First up, what was your very first concert? I think my first concert was NSYNC. I I think about this. I know I know this is supposed <laughs> to be a quick answer, but I think about this often because I went to so many concerts like in the same time period. I think it was either NSYNC or do you remember the show All That? Oh yeah. Yeah, so oh yeah. all that had and all that music and more. This really makes me feel old, but <laughs> it was an all that it was an all that music and more tour, and it had like various people like Monica and um, <laughs> I think like BB Mac, like different people that were on that tour. So it was either <laughs> that amazing. or NSYNC. There you go. How about do you have a favorite? What was your favorite concert? Oh, my favorite concert probably Garth Brooks. We hosted or we had six shows of his in phoenix and he invited yeah. me on stage during friends in low places with did you get to fire the cannon yes so that yeah, was that awesome was, right yeah that was the best experience so garth brooks and i'd say garth michael buble and taylor swift i know that's multiple people but <laughs> uh, you mentioned a love for travel so yes. if you get two uh, you get two plane tickets uh anywhere in the world hotel accommodations paid for a nice per diem where are you heading what's your favorite uh vacation getaway so favorite that i've done is the uk just traveling anywhere in the uk so it's great that we have marketing rights there <laughs> and <laughs> but i've been wanting to go to ireland so i would choose ireland how about your favorite 49ers quarterback <laughs> oh that's have they asked you to play yet <laughs> That's what if they're listening to this podcast, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I I'll go with Jimmy because, but listen, I love it. I love Brock Purdy. I love Trey Lance, but Jimmy for me, when we brought him in, he really changed our just direction the team was going, and so took us to you know the Super Bowl. And so, big fan of Jimmy just as a player and as a person. He seems like a good dude, and he's and he's not not bad on the eyes either. Uh, <laughs> Very humble last, guy. <laughs> last question: What is what is your theme song? So there's a uh, reality TV cameras follow you all around. Uh, they film the story of your life, uh, and you get a show. What song plays over the opening credits to the to the Alley Show? Oh man, so I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, so I would say maybe maybe Ready for It. I'll go with that one. I like it. I like it. <laughs> it's very, it's very dramatic, you know. Uh, where can people find you if they want to hit you up for Taylor Swift tickets or uh, a career advice or any plugs you want to give for uh, social? Yeah, so please don't message me asking for tickets. But <laughs> my Twitter, my Twitter is at Ali721. And then also you can just look me up on LinkedIn as well. 
Of course, I also have to shout out our 49ers handles. Yeah, please do. Across all social. There it is. There it is. Very cool. (laughs) Well, uh, we look forward to following you and uh, being influenced uh, by you and uh, all all your fun stuff you're doing. Thank you so much for making the time for us today. We really appreciate it. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for having me on. And remember, you know, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews because it helps other people find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venue Land is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.